Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 167. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. It's showtime. We are back, of course, once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo, and that's going to include some news, it's going to include some game impressions, and that's going to include this week's big topic, which is SP NES games for Nintendo Switch Online. However, before we get to that, let us kick things off with some game impressions, starting with a title that came to Switch a couple of weeks ago. It is a game known as Remilore. Remilore? Yes, that's right. Remilore. It is a top-down, roguelike action game about a high school girl named Remy who meets a talking book called Lore, and they get sucked into a magical land. Wow, that's like right on the... <laughs> that's like the nail right on the head. Yeah. The name? Yes, you can see where it comes from. Anyway, using randomly acquired weapons and spells, your goal is to fight your way through these robotic enemy hordes and find the portal to get back home. And the action, I would say, is pretty solid. There's a heavy focus on melee combat, although you do have spells as well. And there are several types of weapons you can use, but so far all I've encountered are these big, slow, heavy hammers and these single-handed swords. Except even though they're called swords... They're actually like an umbrella and a broom and a baseball bat and a ladle and a golf club and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. However, they all kind of feel the same and the combat does feel sort of squishy, like you're you know punching a beanbag chair or something. It just doesn't have a really good sense of action reaction the way I like it to be in these types of games. Hmm. My other criticism about the game is that the level design is fairly dull. And this is usually an issue with procedurally generated levels, which are a staple of roguelike games. They just happen to be very bland. You know, they look pretty darn good, but it's sort of just, here's a room, here's a hallway, here's another room, and that's just kind of how it goes. And yeah, because this is a roguelike game, they are different every time you play, but they're so generic, I can hardly even tell. <laughs> well, that's too bad. Yeah, and there's one other issue I have with the game, and that is that right when you start it up, it has these super long loading times. Like, it's only right at the very beginning, but still, it's like I'm playing a PS1 game or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. Wow, is it really that bad? It is on the initial boot up. I mean, only when you play the game. I mean, after you go through that, you know, you're not going to realize it for the rest of your play session. But yeah, it's surprisingly slow. Yeah, that's crazy. On the other hand, the game does have a pretty interesting sense of humor. It's very, very quirky. Obviously, the weapons I mentioned before are very interesting, but there's also a lot of fun banter between Remy and Lore, and it does kind of get stale after a while, especially when stuff repeats, but it's much better than not having anything there at all. <laughs> also, as I sort of alluded to, the game is very visually impressive. The character designs are really nice, the enemy mech designs are very cool, and the lighting is really, really pretty, and everything is just very colorful. Another cool feature in this game is that you do get permanent character enhancements as you play. Unlike hardcore roguelikes where you start over from scratch every time, you can find permanent HP and MP upgrades. And you can also spend the experience you've earned, which is actually coming in the form of dessert points. Yes, that's another quirky thing. You get dessert points, not experience points, because <laughs> you're collecting like desserts as you're running through these dungeons. <laughs> But yeah, you get those and then you spend them on various permanent boosts. 
But they're sort of things like, oh, it increases your random chance to get better weapons, or it increases how much a potion heals you. They don't just, you know, level up your stats, like giving you instantly better defense or better speed or whatnot. So overall, I kind of felt like the upgrades didn't really feel as useful or satisfying as they could be. And I just really didn't feel like I was ever getting that much stronger in the parts that I've played so far. The one thing about the game I haven't had a chance to experience yet is that it does have a two-player local co-op mode, and I have not had a chance to try that yet. That might be like the best feature in the game, but I just haven't had a chance to give it a go. I would really like to, and see if that really increases my enjoyment of the game. Well, I'll be right over. <laughs> okay. Yeah, as soon as uh, you can travel 5,000 miles, let's give it a go. <laughs> so what do you think overall? What would you give it? Well, I mean... I think that not having experienced co-op makes it really hard to form a really solid opinion, but after a few hours of play, you know, I'm kind of underwhelmed and still really not convinced that roguelikes are just a genre I'm ever going to really enjoy. I do want to keep playing, I do want to experience more, I do want to try these other modes, but right now I'm just not really feeling it. Yeah, and this one's kind of steep too. I think it's like a $39.99. It is. It's uh, you know, not a, a totally full-priced game, but it's not a budget release either. And for uh, roguelikes, I find that's kind of a hard price sometimes. Uh, I kind of didn't get into Binding of Isaac for the same reason. But still, if you do like that kind of game, you know, it probably would be up your alley. Totally. Moving along to another game where the price definitely is right is Deltarune Chapter 1. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Yeah, this game is actually a free download. Pete, have you been playing this one as well? Even at the low, low cost of free, I have not had a chance to play this one. Oh man, that is too bad. And you know, I maybe can see why you haven't, because if I'm not mistaken, you have not finished Undertale yet, have you? I have not. Did you? Okay, I haven't either. I have not finished Undertale. <laughs> I'm a bad human being. I really should have played it. I know it's not that long. I know I should get back to it and finish it off, and I know I could probably do it without taking up a ton of time, but no, I haven't yet. Shame on you. Yeah, I know, I know. But still, that didn't stop me from you know jumping into Deltarune. And, you know, I totally do not get all the significance of what's happening here since I haven't finished that game, but I do recognize at least a few of the characters. I recognize the style. I recognize the overall gameplay. I also definitely recognize the game's penchant for messing with you and being contradictory. <laughs> like, right at the very beginning of this game, it makes you create a custom character. You have to, you know, create the head and, you know, choose from several torso types. You choose from, like, five leg types, which all look the same to me and stuff. <laughs> and then it asks you a few other questions about the character, and then it's like, we're throwing this all away, none of it matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I don't know if it's being serious or not. Like, do my choices matter in this game? Or is it really true that it doesn't matter what I do? You know, like Undertale, you can choose to be violent and fight the enemies, or you can try to be a pacifist. But, you know, is the game telling the truth where it doesn't really matter which route I try to take? Or is it just messing with me and trying to convince me that, you know, oh, I can just do whatever I want. There's no consequences. Who cares? I really don't know at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wish you had checked it out so you could uh, you know, try to form your own opinion about that, too. But, you know, it's very interesting how the game gets in your head like that. Yeah, I feel like Undertale has a little bit of that, too. Oh, it has a lot of that in it. I mean, it has that to the max. And <laughs> this, like, I don't know. I just don't know if it is messing with me or if it's being totally upfront. So, yeah, it's definitely a trip. Yeah, and I know when it came out on computer, it was even crazier because, you know, like, all of a sudden was just like a file you download and like, what is this? <laughs> That's true. That's true. People didn't even know what it was. Right. A lot of people missed that Deltarune is just an anagram of Undertale. It's very clever, if I may say so myself. Oh, it is indeed. 
But aside from that, I am really enjoying other aspects of the game. This time you actually have multiple characters in your party, and I think that changing that aspect of battle makes it a lot more fun than the battles in the first game. I also do like that the graphics seem to be just a little bit of a slight upgrade over Undertale, and the soundtrack, I mean, Undertale had a great soundtrack too, but I'm really, really enjoying this one, so I would say that in this respect too, this is an improvement over the original game. Mm. Uh, one thing that was really interesting is that you do get to name this custom character at the beginning, mm -hmm. and you know, I named it Chris, not surprisingly, but then my actual in-game character, after told me that stuff didn't matter, ended up also being named Chris, but spelled with a K. <laughs> Wow. So I don't know. I imagine that's just a crazy coincidence, but it, it was a little weird and it sort of made it get into my head even more than I would have expected. <laughs> Maybe the creator is just collecting data on you. <laughs> Perhaps. You never know. But yeah, I'm not really too far into it. Only about 90 minutes, but I will say I'm having a good time. It is quirky and goofy and once again has a fairly warped sense of humor and, you know, as we said right at the beginning, the game is totally free, so there is no reason not to play it unless you really want to go and make sure you've played Undertale first. I think I probably will go back and finish Undertale before I continue on with my Deltarune quest, but right now I'm thinking this game is pretty darn good. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I do want to kind of finish Undertale before I jump into this one, but yeah, definitely cool that it's on the eShop. Yeah, for sure. And assuming that there will be a Deltarune Chapter 2 and Chapter 3, I am totally going to go all in on that, and I'd happily pay money for it. So I would say Deltarune Chapter 1, mission accomplished. Nice. Now, Pete, I understand that you've been playing some other titles as well on Switch. Would you like to tell me more about those? Yeah, that's why I haven't had any time to play uh, Deltarune. <laughs> I getcha. <laughs> yes, recently I picked up Trials Rising. Ah, yes, that's sort of the physics-based motocross platformer, for lack of a better explanation. <laughs> well, it is funny that you kind of do hit the nail on the head. I mean, I was trying to figure out how to describe this game to a friend, someone who's never played it. And I mean, if you have played it, you pretty much can just skip past this review because, <laughs> well, for the most part, you just know what it is. Mm -hmm. It really is, at its core, this like physics-based kind of puzzle game disguised as a motocross game. Right. Uh, basically, you're just trying to get from one end of the course to the other, but there are like a million ways to fall to your death and explode in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, so as you run through the level, you basically are trying to you know navigate each new part of the course. There's big ramps, there's lots of crazy like corkscrews, there's burning flames, and you, your bike will catch on fire at times. And mm, sounds dangerous. <laughs> there's just like a lot of randomness that happens. It is done through kind of this tongue-in-cheek like... You know, if you fall off a edge of a ramp, you'll just kind of ragdoll into the pit and maybe mm -hmm. maybe you'll explode into like a fiery death. <laughs> yeah, that's always been a key feature of this series, I believe. Yeah, there's these like exploding barrels. Mm -hmm. There's also this kind of silly thing where it's like almost every level when you complete it, your racer somehow dies. Like <laughs> <laughs> he basically like, I don't know, plummets to his death or like gets launched off a catapult. There's a lot of different things. Okay. So it kind of has like a, I don't know, maybe a, a jackass kind of vibe, if I had to say. <laughs> well, definitely a dark sense of humor, if nothing else. But it definitely, in general, kind of embodies this like Mountain Dew, extreme sports, X Games kind of feel. Hmm. But don't let that deter you, because the game actually, at its core, is really fun. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're really into. The game is so fun that I think that whether you're into that kind of that motif or not, I don't think it really affects the experience too much. Yeah, I mean, really, it's just a skin for the platforming puzzle elements. Exactly. 
So I have played other Trials games in the past. Yeah, and how does it stack up? You know, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's right on par. I played, I think, you know, I get them a little confused. I played the first one, loved it. I think I played the second one, and it wasn't quite as good as I was hoping it would be. This one feels to me like a return to form. You basically are presented with a map, and you can kind of go anywhere you want on the globe. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to unlock things, so not everything's open at once, but as you progress, you get more and more options of different places to you know compete. Okay. And I say compete because on each level, you'll actually see three other ghost riders in the background, ah, and those are actually just... Like the Marvel character. <laughs> no. Those are actually no. just computer-controlled. You know, one is called, like, Bronze Baby. One's called, like, I don't know, Silver Cup or something. The other one's called, like, Golden Nugget. And they're basically the times to beat. Ah, I see. And you get better points and better uh, rewards if you can beat them. The other thing to add is, as you kind of pick your levels across the world, they really have done a great effort to, like, kind of embody the different parts of the world you're in. So if you're in Hollywood, you might do this cool, like, sort of on a movie set backdrop and then like all of a sudden in the middle of the level you'll be in the middle of like a starship troopers scene uh-huh. <laughs> there's literally like aliens shooting other aliens and it actually looks really good you know the visuals probably don't stand up to the competitors of switch but the fact that you can play this thing anywhere to me makes it easily the most appealing version okay as long as there's lots of diversity in the stages too yeah, there really are. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. You go to like Anger Wat, you go to like Russia on a ship, you go, there, I think one takes place on like an airfield. There's just like some really fun levels. There's this one that stands out in my mind where it's just like hot air balloons and you're kind of just bouncing between hot air balloons. And mm, Sounds dangerous. <laughs> I mean, it is, but uh, that's kind of the name of the game. Indeed. Rounding out the experience, though, there's also like a pretty robust online system. I did play a little online. It was actually pretty fun, pretty seamless. I also see that there's a track editor. Oh, nice. I didn't have time to play around with that, but you can also share those, it seems. That's cool. And then lastly, there's just a bunch of unlockables. You can do most of it yourself and grind through it, but I know there also is a way to buy some of this stuff. Yeah, that's no fun. I'm not so into real that. cash transactions, huh? Yeah, but like I said, I think most of it you can get yourself, so I had no reason to want to power my way through it by spending money. Okay. I also know that there's like a season pass for this game, and there's like two expansions coming Oh wow! from what I could see on the eShop, so... If you're into it, there's like plenty to go around, so I might even consider getting those if I play all the levels in this one. Okay, all right. Good to know. So you're digging it, huh? I'm definitely digging it. Excellent. Glad to hear. Mm-hmm. So uh, what else have you been playing? Well, Chris, I've been playing a sequel to one of my favorite games on the Sega Genesis. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I have a hint as to what that could be. It sounds pretty groovy. <laughs> yeah. So it would be Toe Jam and Earl back in the groove. All right. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I haven't picked it up yet myself, so I'm very curious as to how it's working out for you. Give me the scoop. I'm going to come at this review from two different directions. One is, if you play Toe Jam and Earl, you know exactly what you're getting. Okay. And I'm not talking Toe Jam and Earl, Escape from Planet Funkatron, or whatever the name was. <laughs> no, you're talking about the original. I'm talking about the original. This is essentially a like total update of the original experience. So... It really is the original Toe Jam and Earl, just kind of updated for modern times. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, and um, I was surprised like how much care and love was kind of in this game that really kind of harkens back to the original. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from like the intro cutscene being all you know animated and goofy, and then having these like '90s backdrops that are just like straight out of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Huh, interesting. You know, bright colors. I'm surprised they tried to update that for modern times. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely not as like pixelated as I remember, but they really captured the spirit and the essence of what that style was. Mm-hmm, I see. Now it's funny because you reviewed a roguelike in Remulor. And in a weird way, Toe Jam and Earl kind of is a roguelike as well. That's true. It is, you know. The levels, as I recall in the original, were randomly generated. The enemies you'd encounter were kind of random. And you'd even know what gifts you were going to get when you opened them. Is that the same way in this game? <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally what you just explained is exactly what you'd expect in this game. Mm-hmm. So is there anything new and cool? Are there any cool new power-ups or quirky new enemies or anything like that? You know... I'm probably the wrong person to talk to about this because I just haven't played the original in so long that I'm not 1,000% sure on that. But I will say I definitely know there are new things. Like, for example, one of the enemies, in case you haven't played this game, all the enemies are humans. Toe and Earl are basically aliens and they're stuck on this world that's like kind of like Earth. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be Earth, but it's like a super goofy version of Earth. And they're trying to find the pieces of their spaceship to put it back together and escape back home. <laughs> Succinctly put there, Hoff. But, yes, yeah, so the, these humans kind of interfere with your plans. So there's this one area where you'll encounter a dude with a drone. And he's just kind of walking around ah. and the drone's buzzing around and, like, hits you. Okay, well, see, that's something that's updated. That's a new one for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, there's some funny stuff. You'll see Gandhi. You'll see uh, <laughs> a scientist that kind of looks like the guy from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. You'll see... Are there still crazy dentists and hula girls? There's definitely still hula girls that make you dance. So if you get too close, uh-huh. you'll just immediately start gyrating those hips. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I don't know if you remember the secret level zero. I do. Yes, I can confirm that that is officially in this game. Okay. And it's pretty cool because it actually contains like some of the credits for the developers. And I also believe, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'm pretty sure this game was kickstarted. Yeah, I believe that's true. And so you'll actually see on a couple levels, there's like Backer Island, and there's like a dude standing on the island, and I'm pretty sure he paid like a significant amount of money to be on that island in his pixelated <laughs> version. Uh-huh. All right. And I got to say, I'm a little jealous about that. Understandably so. But yeah, then they also updated it. There's like almost every level, there's like a dance competition. There's a guy with a boombox. And if you go up to him, literally all of a sudden, it like counts down to a Guitar Hero style button pressing minigame. Huh, interesting. And if you're playing two player, you'll actually get that for both of you. So you get to compete against your friend in that kind of thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, I did get a chance to play this online as well. So it's not only is it local. No, I didn't realize I had online. That's great. Yeah, so not only is it local, but you can actually play this online. And uh, i got to say the experience is pretty seamless, barring some substantial load time. Hmm. Okay. It's a lot more noticeable in in, uh, multiplayer. You'll start to see, you know, it'll just kind of, like, if you fall off a level, it's not immediate. kind of takes maybe, like, 10 to 15 seconds to recover to the next level Hmm, okay it's kind of a little jarring compared to the single player experience all right well definitely something to keep in mind i will say i did encounter one bug Uh, my friend and i were playing through we got to level 10 and then we got to an elevator we could not get past it just nothing we could do would make it go up another floor oh that's a total bummer yeah and i googled it and it sounds like uh that's a thing that's been happening so hopefully a patch is on the way I'd like to think that with this much care and love into this kind of remake, you'd think that they'll put some care into fixing it. Yeah, I think I've actually heard that they're planning to address some bugs already. Oh, cool. 
Well, glad to hear you are enjoying the game. I haven't picked it up yet myself because there's a physical version you can order off of Limited Run Games. I've sort of been planning to do that, but I was kind of waiting to hear what you thought first. So glad to hear you're enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of the original, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't also like this one. And I feel like it's just a really nice, you know, kind of paying respects to the original, but also making it fun and updated for, you know, kids and all that. Okay. All right. Well, excellent. That sounds very funkadelic. I'm very glad to hear it. Groovy. (laughs) Indeed. Now, Pete, there is one other thing I've been playing in the last couple of days, and unsurprisingly, that is the latest entries from the NES collection on Nintendo Switch Online. (laughs) Now you know the real reason I haven't played Deltarune. (laughs) Yeah, these are two of your favorites, right? Kid Icarus and Star Tropics are now available on that service. And, you know, these are definitely solid games, but Pete, I know they are two of your favorites. So please tell me why these two games mean so much to you. (laughs) Well, I will say Kid Icarus is definitely one of my favorites. Star Tropics, eh, not so much. (laughs) But I will say that I do like that it's on this service because now I'll have a chance to play it. Uh Uh-huh. I see. And it's one of those games that I feel like, you know, every Nintendo fan should get familiar with it because, uh, well, it was made by Nintendo. It was, but it's still a bit weird. Like, (laughs) the way you move is kind of odd. Like, first, when you tap a direction, you just face that direction, and then you start moving. It always throws me off a little bit. (laughs) And the way that you jump onto these platforms don't really seem like they need to be jumped on, that also weirds me out a bit. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely unlike anything else that's out there, I mean, other than the sequel. But, yeah, I mean, it's never been a personal favorite of mine, but it's very interesting, that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a weird game, and when you play through it, I mean, I kind of get the feeling, and I don't know, you know, where this comes from, but it kind of reminds me of, like, Nintendo just, like, decided in, like, the late 80s, they were like, we should make a a Zelda game or, like, something like that that is kind of American-focused or for Western tastes. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like, the main character is a baseball player? Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) yep which uh, means he's really good with his quote-unquote star he's really good at throwing that at people (laughs) and why is a star a yo-yo i don't know there's a lot of questions well because it originally was a yo-yo but for licensing reasons they had to change it in the re-release so (laughs) yeah that's why it's no longer a yo-yo it's another four-letter word apparently yo-yo is a a banned four-letter word so it's now a star so was the game originally called yo-yo tropics I don't think that's how it went. (laughs) Um, But back to Kid Icarus. Why is that one of your all-time faves? All right. Well, Kid Icarus, mainly, I got to be honest, it's because it just never had an update. You know, of course, now they've made... There was Kid Icarus Myths and Monsters on Game Boy, and obviously there was a new one a couple years ago. (laughs) No, of course. But it really felt like, you know, if, if you were considering, you know, Mario and Zelda and Metroid being sort of the big three games from the NES era... Mm hmm Kid Icarus really, as far as Nintendo's concerned, was right up there. I mean, it's this solid single-player experience. There's really nothing separating it from, let's say, Mario Brothers, other than the fact that it's, you know, Greek mythology and a different level design. You scroll up instead of left and right. And just the fact that it kind of got left to die versus all these other games. It's like, why did this happen? And how did they not update this one? Yeah, I guess that is still a mystery. I wouldn't say it's anything like Super Mario Brothers, really. But yeah, it did have a ton of cool ideas. There's no question about that. The more that I've played the NES one, the more I've grown to really like understand what's going on. I mean, it's a bizarre game. Like The first time you play it, you literally walk into the first room you see, and there's nothing in there. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Every time I do that, I still ask myself, did I do something wrong? <laughs> and then you go into these other rooms and you just get your butt handed to you. Yep, yep. And that that is like very different than like uh, the other Nintendo games at the time. But I will say, like getting the most out of that game, you really have to go into those rooms and figure out how to like win and figure out how to like collect those hearts because that's really the only way you end up getting enough to you know compete later on and being able to like complete a dungeon without dying. Yep, Angel Land is definitely a strange and mysterious place. <laughs> now, I will say this is the perfect way to play it because you have save state. You know, you have no excuse for, you know, accidentally pushing down and falling through a platform to your death. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Hoff. There are plenty of excuses for that happening. <laughs> Mainly there is a very questionable control scheme in there. But uh, yes, <laughs> at least I can save my game before I do it. Yeah, the funny thing about Kid Icarus is that uh, I guess that while you're playing it, every enemy you kill and all that, it keeps track of your score. So like at the end of the level, you, can, you, know, you get like a score tally. That's right. That actually matters. Eventually, when you get a score high enough, when you go into some of those rooms that have nothing in it, those rooms will actually have somebody in it who gives you a more powerful arrow. Hmm. Okay. And so the more things you kill, the more you know enemies you face, the higher that score gets, and then the easier the game gets. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it works. And then, you know, conversely, if you beat the game and actually start from scratch again, when you go into that first room, if your score is high enough, they'll give you another bonus. So hmm. there's a lot of moments in the game where, you you know, they'll give you power-ups, but you just have to have a score high enough to uh, deserve it. So just lots of hidden nuance, you would say. Totally. And I will say the Game Boy game, I believe overall is a better experience. I think it's just a little bit more user-friendly. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one is pretty good, and I suggest everyone play through it. Okay. I am kind of curious if they uh, will do an SP version of this one, and if so, what they'll give you. Yeah, well, perhaps we'll talk about that later on in uh, the latter portion of the show. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in addition to these two new releases, there are also two new SP games. There's Kirby's Adventure SP, which is basically the game after it's been completed, so you can instantly access hard mode, and you can also access the sound test. And yes, Kirby's Adventure is pretty easy overall, so it's kind of nice that they give you that option to just go straight to hard mode without playing all the way through the regular mode. Yeah, I don't think I've ever beaten that game, so it's kind of nice to have that option. And then... On top of that, there's also Zelda II The Adventure of Link SP, which basically starts you on your second playthrough, which means you have full stats, you have all your spells and all your abilities. So basically, the game is kind of a cakewalk up until you you get to the sixth dungeon again. So if you're one of those people who thinks that Zelda II is just way too hard, this is probably the perfect chance to experience it with a much more lenient difficulty setting because you hardly take any damage, you can do a lot more damage yourself. It just makes everything a lot less stressful for the player. Yeah, I noticed that went into like the first like uh, random enemy encounter and got beaten a few times by the enemies and all of a sudden I still had like, you know, full health almost. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a difference from starting off of the original. Yeah, I mean, I used to do this before when I had the game on my NES. You know, I would beat it once and I'd play through it again. So it's not any big surprise to me. But yeah, you know, when this came out, I went to the first dungeon. I beat the first boss in just two hits. So oh, wow. yeah, that's what you get. You're mm-hmm. ruthless. Well, it's a horse, you know, got to protect myself. (laughs) Of course. All right, that takes care of our impressions for this week. Why don't we move along to some news? So first and foremost in the news this week is Nintendo's big announcement that they are actually doing virtual reality. (gasps) You don't say. 
I do say. But, of course, in true Nintendo fashion, this is not just regular virtual reality like the competition is doing. No, it is Nintendo Labo VR. It is coming out April 12th, and that means you're putting together, like, these cardboard binocular things and sticking them on your face and doing it on a budget. (laughs) And apparently looking at the back end of a bird. It's kind of crazy because a few years ago, Nintendo said, oh, no, we're not going to do VR. But it turns out, yes, they are doing VR. It's just sort of cardboard budget VR. It's <laughs> it's so strange. I mean, you know, it's Lobo, so it's mostly cardboard. But there are also these plastic lenses that you use to, you know, create these goggles. You just hold them up to your face. You stick the switch on the other side and that becomes your screen. And, yeah, you're just holding it up the whole time. It's not a headset like the competition is doing. And supposedly the idea behind it is so you can pass it around to friends and share the experience so you're not just alone in your own little VR world. But it does kind of seem like it could create a problem. Like you probably wouldn't want to be holding this thing up to your face for more than a couple minutes. Otherwise you'd be like, man, my arms are getting really worn out. (laughs) It's like Virtual Boy all over again. It is kind of, only without the stand to put on a table, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it's clearly not going for the same thing that the other guys are going for. Now, I haven't had a chance to see what this actually looks like. Have you actually seen screenshots of these VR games or anything? No, you know, I've looked for it, and I feel like they're maybe intentionally not showing because it kind of makes you want to play it. I guess. I mean, that's my feeling, too. Nintendo, you know, sort of likes to sell the experience, show the lifestyle photos, and not show you the actual gameplay in situations like this. But we know there are multiple configurations. There is a blaster that you use for fighting off an alien invasion. There is a cardboard Lobo camera for photographing sea life. And yes, there's also a cardboard bird, a cardboard wind pedal, and a cardboard elephant. And all of these have different games associated with them. I would like to know what they look like. Do they look cheap and budget? Or do they look nice and fancy? Is it something you'd actually want to play? I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued, but I'm also very concerned, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. I'm also kind of weirded out by, like, you know, when the 3DS came out, they're like, oh, you know, we have to have this slider on. No one under 7 should use the 3D. And now they're like, take your Switch and glue it onto your face, and now you're in VR. It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But, uh, you know, I think if I was the age of the kids that this product is aimed for, I think I would actually think this is pretty awesome. Hmm, 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 hmm. I mean, I've played some VR stuff. I like it. But this is not going to deliver those same kinds of experiences that I've played on like PS4 and stuff like that. So while I'd like to be cautiously optimistic, I don't even know if I can say I'm going that far. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't think it's really trying to compete against the other. Oh no, it's definitely not. It's definitely doing its own thing. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, you know, I I have to hope that the, uh, the games that you get are worth playing and I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I guess so. There are going to be several configurations for this. The Nintendo Labo VR kit that gives you everything sells for $79.99. Just the starter kit, which gives you the blaster, as well as the binoculars, is selling for $39.99. And you can buy two expansion sets to give you the other ones if that's what you go for. So you can buy the Toy-Con Elephant and Camera for $20 and the Toy-Con Wind Pedal and Bird for another $20. So uh, if you buy them all separately, you can save yourself two cents that way. Great deal. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it comes out in less than a month. I hope I get to try it out and see what it's all about. Yeah, I kind of want to see this one too. Uh, Hopefully they'll have a demo in a store or something. Yeah, that would be great. Moving along then to our next topic, I wanted to follow up on a discussion we had a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the new Resident Evil games coming out on Switch. Now, I guess we didn't have all of the story when we talked about it last time because Capcom has gone on record 
as far as it goes for the physical editions. There is going to be Resident Evil Origins Collection, a physical release that sells for $60. However, Pete, as you predicted, it is part physical, part digital. And it's like the weirdest way possible. (laughs) You can get the physical on-card version of Resident Evil 0, but then Resident Evil 1 is a download code. And then Resident Evil 4 is download only. It's not included in the collection at all. (laughs) That makes perfect sense. Like, if it were me, I would be, okay, Resident Evil 4 should definitely be physical, or maybe Resident Evil 1 should be physical. It would not be zero. That would be absolutely the last one I would choose. (laughs) But I don't know. Maybe that's, like, their way to make it sell more. Think, oh, the collectors will want to get this physical edition. I don't know. I don't know what's up. (laughs) Uh, Zero also has a new Wesker mode that I guess was not in the original game. So that's also another reason to pick this up if you're on the fence about it. Did you say Whisker mode? Wesker mode. I mean, you're always in Whisker mode, Pete, but no, (laughs) this is a new Albert Wesker mode where he has some super powered up state that comes from Resident Evil 5, which I've actually never played. So I don't really know much about it, but uh, it certainly sounds interesting. I've always liked Wesker as a character. These distribution models are fine for me because all I'm really planning on picking up is Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're all digital anyway, but uh, still, it just seems very, very strange how Capcom is doing this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they just have a dartboard. <laughs> could be. Very well could be. Now, on the other side of the physical release spectrum, there are a couple new digital games that are getting physical releases that have caught my eye. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, that's the 8-bit Castlevania-style game, that's actually getting a physical release from Limited Run Games this Friday, March 15th, and there's a collector's edition that looks absolutely phenomenal. They actually found the artist that did those classic Konami NES and Super NES boxes, and he is providing the art for this game. Okay, that's rad. Yeah, it's rad. It's going to be expensive, it's going to sell out in like two seconds, (laughs) but uh, it'll be really cool to have nonetheless. And then... One of my favorite games from last year, The Messenger, is also getting a physical version that comes out on March 19th. I believe that will be available through Limited Run Games as well. Man, Limited Run Games sweeping up left and right. Yep, they definitely are. Although this one is actually published by Special Reserve Games, and you can get it either through their site or Limited Runs. I'm very interested in those. I'm also very interested in some upcoming Switch titles from NIS America. They had a bunch of announcements recently, and one of the ones that caught my eye the most was the Alliance Alive HD Remastered, which is coming out on Switch this fall. Now, I've heard you talk about this one before. Well, I've talked about the original Alliance Alive because that came out on 3DS about a year ago. It was released by Atlas, and it was a very fun game and you know very compelling for the type of game it is with a sophisticated mature story full of political intrigue about trying to free the human world from oppression by demons it also had a great cast of characters that all had their own unique goals and missions and they sort of come together to fight back against the enemy it had some cool combat that mixes traditional turn-based battles with an innovative skill system and non-traditional leveling up and it's also very reminiscent of Suikoden which is not surprising since Yoshitaka Murayama the creator of Suikoden is involved with the game's story. So yeah, I really liked this game when it came out on 3DS. I feel like most people just didn't play it because it was a 3DS game in the Switch era. But now, you know, for people who are like, oh, my 3DS is in a drawer, you know, whoever those people might be, you know, now you don't have an excuse. It is coming out on Switch. You know I've used that excuse before. (laughs) Indeed I do. Indeed I do. Um, The one thing I will say about this game that isn't that great is that even though it is in HD, I don't feel like the graphics are really that big a step up. 
And I feel like that's happened in the past with other 3DS to Switch ports where the graphics, yeah, they're up res, but the model quality hasn't changed, so it still kind of looks like a 3DS game, and I feel like that's sort of a shame. But still, overall, I'm just glad that this game is getting a new shot at life, getting a chance for a new audience, and it really is a very cool Japanese RPG, and uh, I'd like to see a lot more people give it a try now. Well, maybe I'll give it a try this time. Well, hope you do. NIS also discussed some previously announced games. They showed off Lapis X Labyrinth, which comes out on May 28th. That is a side-scrolling 2D dungeon-crawling action RPG. And the unique conceit about that one is that you choose four characters that sort of stack up on top of each other and use their special skills to fight. It's sort of like uh, The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes, only it's one player controlling all the characters and it's not just three different links. You get to choose from Hunter, Wizard, Destroyer, Necromancer, Shielder, Maid, Gunner, and Bishop character classes. Some are for fighting, some are more for boosting your stats and stuff, but any way you choose, you wind up with fast-paced, chaotic action with lots of enemies and explosions and treasures and gems going everywhere. It's kind of hard to tell what's going on from the video footage I've seen, but it does look really cool. Ah, sounds fun. Yeah, I hope it is. And then another game I'm interested in is RPG Maker MV, which is coming out sometime this year. Obviously, as the name implies, you get to make your own top-down turn-based RPG, and this time it includes cutscenes and event scenes, has tons of pre-made graphics and objects and tile sets, as well as pre-made characters you can use. You can also create your own characters. There are eight visual themes to choose from and 171 pre-made maps. You also have the option to choose whether battles are first-person or side-view, so basically you can choose whether it's Dragon Quest style or Final Fantasy style. And then there are even voices and songs with the lyrics that you can insert basically anywhere in the game you want. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Then on top of that, there's going to be free player software, so if you don't buy the whole game, you can just download this player software that lets you play other people's creations without buying the full game. So, yeah. Basically, it's like as much RPG-ness as you can handle when this comes out later this year. That's pretty cool. Do I smell a sequel to Mr. T Gets a Job? <laughs> if only I had enough time, I would love to do that. <laughs> Maybe we can fund it. <laughs> All right. Please look forward to it. Speaking of Japanese games that are a little bit niche, Nicholas has announced that Umihara Kawase Fresh is coming out on Switch this summer. Well, I'll say that five times fast. Now, Pete, I'm guessing you don't know much about the Umihare Kawase series. What makes you think that? <laughs> it's just a hunch. Mm, it's true. Now, maybe you are familiar with the character since she was in Blade Strangers, or maybe you have played a handful of the games that have come out stateside, but basically is a platformer starring a fisherman chef named Umihara Kawase. And it's this long-lived series that's gotten very little attention over here, but the hook, so to speak, is that she uses her fishing line as a grappling hook and to capture enemies. It's just full of weirdness, like these crazy walking fish enemies and just all sorts of weird quirkiness. It has lots of platforming, lots of side quests, a fairly deep story, and the ability to cook all kinds of food power-ups for yourself. It's strange, it's bizarre, and, uh, you know, I'd like to finally give the series a try when it comes out on July 9th. It is getting both a physical and a digital release. All right. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> sure thing. Now, as for something a little bit more mainstream, I am also very much looking forward to the Art of Super Mario Odyssey art book, which is coming out this October. Ah, uh, that actually sounds pretty awesome. 
Yeah, and this is one I've been looking forward to for a long time. The Japanese release was announced a ways back. I think it came out back in October or so. I had been holding out for a North American release, and hey, it paid off. It has finally been confirmed. It is 368 pages containing preliminary sketches, concept art, production art, pretty much everything you'd want to know about Super Mario Odyssey. You know, I did kind of look around when I was in Japan to see if maybe I could find the book, you know, flip through it a little bit. It was actually really hard to find. I wasn't able to find it anywhere. So I'm really glad to see that it will be available here in North America, and it will be, hopefully, easy to get. It's going to sell for 50 bucks, but there's probably going to be a ridiculous special edition on the way, like there has been with their last few Nintendo art books. But either way, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. You know, Nintendo has shown lots of really cool concept art from Super Mario Odyssey on their Twitter accounts, and that stuff alone is amazing. So seeing a full book of it is probably going to blow my mind. So yeah, this is one I'm definitely going to get as soon as I'm able. I hear that it even has the first official Nintendo drawing of Bowsette. <laughs> kind of, kind of. I mean, they did make a character like that. It's not a Bowsette, but uh, yes, there is something along those lines in there. You're not wrong. Yeah, this one looks pretty cool. Uh, I might even think about picking it up. All right. Please look forward to it. <laughs> And speaking of cool Mario-related collectibles, there is also, like, the definitive Mario statue coming from First Four Figures. In fact, it's not just Mario. It is Mario on Yoshi's back. You know, Mario's arm is sort of raised victoriously. Yoshi is kind of jogging. It comes on a grassy plain base. It is a 19-inch tall mini statue featuring these guys. Yeah, this thing looks awesome. It does. It does indeed. But unsurprisingly, since it is from first four figures, that awesomeness comes at a price. <laughs> the standard edition goes for $500. There's also an exclusive edition that comes with a second base with a big Yoshi egg. That is $525. Then there is a definitive edition that also comes with the egg and even bigger, fancier display base with three interchangeable flowers as well as a Mario checkpoint flag and a Bowser checkpoint flag, and that one sells for $675. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to buy this one. It would be really cool to have, but uh, nonetheless, it is a pretty awesome collectible. It comes out in about a year. It's supposed to hit second quarter of 2020. I gotta say, if I had like a sweet office, I'd definitely have this behind me, you know, chilling on the shelf. Yeah, I wish I could do that as well. <laughs> Understandable. All right, that takes care of the news for this week. Let's move along to some listener mail. First up, we have listener Blake, who says, Y'all were talking about something on one of your recent podcasts. I can't remember what, and it made me think of a potentially cool topic. What about doing best games based on movie licenses? Maybe a top three for each console. Back in the day, games based on movies were often bad, but there were some exceptions, and I think it would be cool to talk about those. One I can think of off the top of my head is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves for NES, based on the Kevin Costner film. I remember liking that one for whatever reason, and perhaps if that topic is too broad, maybe one about good games based on food and drink licenses like Cool Spot for Super NES. <laughs> well, I'm slightly offended he can't remember what we were talking about, but it's a good topic. Well, it is a good topic. It's also a topic we have kind of touched on long ago. It was all the way back in episode 21, before you were even on the show, Pete, where we did an episode all about licensed games. Uh, but I do agree, there are a lot of good licensed games out there. I'm not sure I could name three of them per console, especially <laughs> just sticking to movies. You know, I will say that Super Nintendo probably had more than most. You know, a few of my favorites were the Super Star Wars series. Oh, yeah. Batman Returns was fantastic. 
Capcom's Aladdin, yep. uh, The Lion King was another really good one. If you're talking more modern times, I would definitely recommend The Mummy Demastered, even though it's you know only very loosely based on the Mummy reboot film. You know, I'm not sure I can name any licensed food games I've enjoyed, but I will say I do still believe there should be a one-on-one fighting game starring all breakfast cereal mascots. <laughs> uh, count me in for that. I'm going to main the porcupine from Sugar Pops. <laughs> I guess I'll take the frog from Honey Smacks. All right, I'll see you in the ring. <laughs> Our other letter this week comes from Joey T, who writes, oh, he's actually got one about movies as well, in a sense. After seeing both Detective Pikachu trailers, I think that it almost feels like a Muppet movie, a city adventure that along the way provides a cavalcade of wacky, colorful characters that get a scene or two to show off the dynamic range of those pocket monsters. As a fan of both franchises, I think it's a perfect fit for a movie. A Pokemon Master story might be asking a lot out of two hours of cinema. I was wondering if you agree, and do you think that if the upcoming Mario film feels like a Minions movie, would that be a fitting mix and what other movie franchises would work well to borrow from for a nintendo movie example star fox and guardians of the galaxy mario 128 and into the spider verse and splatoon and bad news bears yeah this is actually a really good question you know i i do i think that if they made detective pikachu anything else like if it was based on you know just somebody trying to become the very best it definitely wouldn't have kind of the mind share that this movie has right now you know they're definitely hitting sort of like mass audience with this approach that is kind of like a muppets approach yeah that's true i think having a talking pikachu is a nice angle i think having some very solid focus like you said is much better than trying to you know go all out and have you know ash on his quest to become the number one pokemon trainer but uh, yeah as for uh, you know his suggestion about game-based movies borrowing from other films i mean i guess i can kind of see that but you know personally i'm very picky about my comedies you know i have no interest in minions whatsoever so i really hope that the <laughs> super mario movie is not like minions even if it is coming from the same studio and i also really hope that any movie based on a game is able to stand on its own and doesn't borrow too heavily from anything else i mean i guess tonally guardians of the galaxy or star wars is probably a good match for star fox yep. and certainly i could see splatoon being like an underdog sports movie but for the most part i would just love to see these come out stand on their own and people not have to make those kinds of comparisons yeah totally i still want to see a donkey kong movie based on kung fu panda though uh yeah we'll have to get right on that <laughs> Okay, that does it for letters this week, so I think it's time for us to take an intermission, and then when we come back, we'll discuss this week's big topic, which hey, is... Hey, why don't you just back up there for a second, Hoff? Huh? Why? What's going on? Uh, you know. Oh. <laughs> All right. Let's just do it, then. It's time to hassle the Hoff. Okay, I should have known. Okay, what do you have for me this week, then? Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman, Yes? If you could port any 3DS game to the Switch overnight, what would it be? Ooh. Huh, that's a really good question, Pete. And boy, there are so many 3DS games out there. Man, how do I even settle on one? Mm -hmm. But that's why you're a video game professor, huh? Let's see here. Uh, there are two that come to mind. And the first one... You know, it's actually a game that we were kind of addressing just a little bit ago with this week's letters. I think it would actually be pretty great to see a Switch port of Detective Pikachu. Oh, look at you. Yeah, that one would actually make a whole lot of sense, especially with that movie coming out. If they were to release that 
to coincide with the film or maybe a little bit afterwards, I think that would make a whole lot of sense and I think the game would play just as well on Switch. However, I think more than that, I would probably like to see Kid Icarus Uprising come over to Switch. Oh, look at you. A man after my own heart. I mean, I wasn't like the hugest fan of the 3DS version, but I think that with the controls that are available on the Switch, and hopefully it would give you multiple control options, you know, sort of a traditional control option, also, you know, maybe some pointer-based control options that are more like the original game, I think that would make the game a lot more accessible and potentially a lot more fun. So, uh, I think that either one of those would be good, but if I could only pick one, right now, I'm going to say Kadikaris Uprising. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very valid answer. I mean, there's a lot of great 3DS games. So there are probably lots of others. I'm not even coming to mind right now. But yeah, that's what I'm going to go. Yeah, I would like to see that on Switch. Uh, it just feels like it needs uh, more love. Yep, I think you're right about that. All right. Okay, with that taken care of, we will definitely take our intermission, and then when we come back, we'll be discussing this week's big topic, which is SPNES games. All right, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the SPNES games for Nintendo Switch Online. Now, back when Nintendo Switch Online launched, we knew there were going to be a collection of NES games included, but the big surprise was that in addition to the regular games, there are also SP versions of these classic games. Basically, save states that let you get further and get more out of some of these classic games. Yeah, it really does add a lot of mileage to some of these old games, right? Things you maybe always kind of wanted to do in these games, but never really got a chance to. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these older games are not easy, and getting far into them, you know, it might be more than you're able to accomplish. So these SP versions were a way to get around that and maybe experience part of the game that you never had a chance to see before. And so far, there are, I think, about 10 SP games out there. You know, we got The Legend of Zelda, which lets you start with full money and many items, including the blue ring and the power bracelet, so you're really ready to go out on your adventure. There was Gradius SP, which lets you start on one of the later levels fully powered up. There were actually two versions of Metroid SP, one that lets you start as you're about to fight Ridley, and then one where you're prepared to go into Turian and fight the Metroids and destroy Mother Brain. And those are both really hard, even without that. (laughs) Yeah, they're still pretty challenging. 
There's a Dr. Mario SP of all things, that right as you're about to beat level 20 and see the special ending cutscene where we learn that the viruses might actually be aliens all along. Spoiler <laughs> alert. There's Ghosts and Goblins SP, which is very cruel by putting you on the last stage of the first playthrough. So if you aren't able to get through any of the earlier stuff, well, you're definitely not going to get through that. And then you still have to go through it all again. So that's just kind of obscene. Yeah, that one's mean. There's Ninja Gaiden SP, which lets you start right at the final bosses and see some of those hard-to-get-to cutscenes. Blaster Master SP, which puts you right at the start of the last area of the game. And as we talked about, Kirby's Adventure SP, which lets you start with a complete save file so you can play hard mode and check out the sound test. And then Zelda 2 SP, which basically starts you in your second playthrough with full stats, all spells, all abilities. Pete, out of those 10 existing SP games already, do you have a favorite or one that you've really appreciated? I think, to me, one of the best ones has been the Metroids. Both of them, actually. Oh, okay. And that's partially because Metroid, without a map, is just like... (laughs) It's like one of the hardest games on the planet. (laughs) And, like, I'm not at a point in my life where I'm going to draw a map for a video game anymore. (laughs) Like, that's that ship sailed long ago. So that's why you need to get the uh, official NES Player's Guide, you know? (laughs) It's true. Since I don't have access to that anymore. I mean, I guess I could Google it and play it, but it's really nice to just kind of jump in and be able to, like, start blasting have all the power-ups and have your full missiles and health. Yep, I can't argue with that. For me, probably my favorites are the two Zelda titles. You know, Zelda 1, especially, it's nice to just sort of have all that money and access to all these extra abilities. Like, oh, I don't need to go through that hassle. I can just start going through the dungeons and enjoying myself and not have to worry if I have enough cash or keys or whatever. So that's really cool. And then Zelda 2, as much as I like going through the regular quests, it's nice just to be able to start out with full stats and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I think there have been some cool ideas here. But then on top of that, we were thinking, you know, what else could they do? What other games deserve the SP treatment? You know, and maybe we should even include other games that aren't quite yet on the service or maybe include, you know, some ideas that are more like cheats rather than just save states. So that is our starting point here as we get into this big topic. And uh, Pete, would you like to start us off? What would be one of your SP games you'd like to see available on the service? All right, well, maybe I'll start kind of conservative, and then maybe we'll get a little bit more in-depth from there. Okay. Well, I'd like to see, you know, this is a pretty basic one, but I'd like to see Super Mario Brothers 3, you know, maybe with a whistle Mm. and some extra lives. Okay, I suppose that would be a nice little boost there. I mean, you can sort of get some extra lives and a whistle in just the first level or so, but that wouldn't hurt to have. I was also thinking that Super Mario Brothers 3 is deserving of the treatment, but I was thinking something a little bit, more extensive myself. Like you're just stuck in Kuribo's shoe the entire time? (laughs) Not quite like that. I mean, one of the interesting things about that game is that it does have this inventory system, and I thought it would be really cool if you could start out with a full inventory of clouds and P-wings. And... You know, that way, if you're playing through the game and you ever come across a level that you just find, oh, this is too hard, I don't want to deal with this right now, you can use one of these power-ups. The cloud lets you just skip past the stage, and the P-Wing basically lets you, you know, just fly over it. So I think those would be really, really helpful for anybody who's thinking that, you know, playing through some of this stuff is just too challenging, especially if you ever decide to actually make a full playthrough without warping. You know, that's a lot of levels to go through. Yeah, those are some well-thought-out options, Hoff. Well, I thank you. I was also thinking that the original Super Mario Brothers would be ripe for an SP treatment. And I was kind of thinking there were two possible ways they could go with this. One, just starting players on the final level, on 8-4, with 
a you know powered up Mario with fireballs. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting to the last level isn't really that tough, but getting there with a fire flower can be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, totally. And so being able to start there and being able to actually have firepower to get your way through the level and make your way through the mazes, I think that would be a lot of fun for a lot of people because, you know, like I said, getting there, it can be a bit of a test. Yeah, I would say, like, probably most people have never done that. <laughs> and then, also, I mean, maybe it's unnecessary because, you know, if you beat that 8-4 level, then you'd already gain access to this. But, you know, when you beat the game one time... When you then start again, you get a higher difficulty and you have a built-in level select where you can start from, you know, any of the eight worlds. So, you know, just being able to jump in there and suddenly you're not facing a Goomba as your first time, you're facing a Buzzy Beetle. Like, okay, well, I don't have to, you know, go through and beat the game. I can already start on this more challenging mode. And for a lot of veteran players, I think, you know, maybe that would be a fun way to re-experience this classic game. That's a very good option. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm included in that bunch. That actually sounds really cool. Glad you think so. So what's another one that uh, you were thinking of? Yeah, so keeping in that same Mario line, I'm actually thinking the original Mario Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, you know, if you've ever played that, you basically just keep playing forever and ever. There never seems to be an end. But I've only ever gotten to maybe level 50, level 60, I don't know, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious, what happens when you get to, like, level 100? What happens when you get to, like, some ridiculous level? I would love... I couldn't tell you. See, I would love to see a game started there, just to kind of see, well, you know, what would you be up against if you make it all the way to that? Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I've never really considered that, but that would definitely be interesting to try out. So, yeah, that seems like a cool way to use the SP features. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, what about something not in the Mario universe? Well, I was thinking, you know, based on the most recent releases, I would like to see a Kid Icarus SP. You know, one thing that's interesting about this version and the other recent versions, like what was on Virtual Console on Wii, is that they removed the special codes that were in the NES version. So if you try typing in Icarus Fights Medusa Angels or Danger Terror Horror, you're not going to get anything. You're just going to get a beeping error sound that says, nope, code doesn't work. So I was thinking it would be very nice if there were actually... SP versions of the game that basically you start with those same effects already enabled. Yeah, totally. Kid Icarus is definitely a game ripe for the upgrades. Yeah. And it is a challenging game, even with the extra powers. Yeah, and like you said, a lot of the stuff is very hidden. You don't really even know if you're going to be able to get this stuff. It's not easy to make your way through that game. So I think giving you an advantage with some SP features would definitely be cool. And I have a feeling they'll probably get to this one sooner or later. Yeah, I think so too. Oh, yeah. And also, Kid Icarus, there's a wing you get that basically lets you float up if you fall off the level. So if you if you had like oh, huh. 99 of those, you'd be pretty set. Yeah, I no longer have to worry about my uh, ducking through platforms problem, huh? That's right. Huh, I don't even think I ever knew about that. That's uh, actually very, very good to know. All right. One that uh, appeals to both of our sensibilities, I believe, it would be a pro wrestling SP. Oh, okay. You know, I was thinking about pro wrestling, but I wasn't really sure what I could do with it. So uh, I would love to hear your opinion. Well, if you play through the main game, you'll eventually fight the Great Puma, who's a character that is just a boss. That's right. You're unable to play as him, to my knowledge. Yep. An SP version would be great if you could actually play as Great Puma. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. You know, just kind of get to learn his moves and... I'm just spitballing here, but aren't they, like, based off of the other players' moves or something? I do believe that is the case, yes. 
It's been a long time since I fought him, but yep, that's what I recall. Yeah, so it would, I, I feel like it would just be fun to be able to like access this character that's been you know locked and hidden forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, given that it's a small miracle that Nintendo ever gave us this game at all, <laughs> I don't have any high hopes they'll be giving us an SP version, let alone something that would be that cool. But yeah, that would be great. I would be so all over that, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, totally. Cool idea. Now, something that's perhaps a little bit more traditional, I would say I'd like to see an SP version of River City Ransom. Ah, and what would you get in such an SP version? Well, River City Ransom is kind of all about the grinding. There is a lot of grinding in that game where you're just beating up enemies over and over again so you can earn money and get the cool stuff. And so I would just say, you know, obviously, like all these, it would reduce the challenge, but if it just started you with... uh, crap ton of money that would just take away all that grinding stuff you could get straight to buying the good stuff or maybe you're already powered up with a lot of new abilities and then just get to the fun part of beating bad guys up with your most advanced move set so yeah just cut out the grinding straight to the beat em up part i think that'd be fun yeah i feel like river city ransom for me that's always kind of been the barrier like i just like don't really want to put in the work so <laughs> having an option of the getting a lot of money and just kind of being able to like buy all the power-ups uh, seems like a, it would be really helpful. Yeah, you just have free reign of the city. You could kind of fight and experience anything you want. And you still have the whole story, all the bosses to fight, all that good stuff. Just you'd be uh, you know more prepared without having to put in all that extra grind time. Yep. Now, if you had enough money, you could just pay the ransom and the game would be over. <laughs> yeah, I never, never thought of it that way, <laughs> but uh, hmm, I'll have to look into that. Well, another one that's kind of maybe in the uh, pie-in-the-sky category that is made by Nintendo, it would be Excitebike. Oh, Excitebike, huh? Okay. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, there's two levels you get to create yourself in every Excitebike game. You basically get to go in and design a track. And I was thinking, it'd be pretty cool if, like, the devs at Nintendo design tracks. Oh. And maybe they're not beholden to the rules of everyone else with the track editor maybe they can go a little bit longer and have like a little bit more options maybe maybe even some pieces that we've never seen like some hmm. crazy jumps that you know weren't designed in the original oh that's definitely interesting i mean even without uh having you know new parts and stuff like that just having some uh, brand new tracks designed by nintendo superstars yeah that would be definitely awesome yeah that never even crossed my mind definitely a cool idea i like it <laughs> wow was that a compliment yeah <laughs> Uh, Don't get used to it. (laughs) I already forgot. So I was thinking that I could also, you know, maybe use a little bit of a boost in Double Dragon. That's a game I was always a fan of when I was younger. And, you know, really, I felt like the challenge really was just in the fourth level. Like, you know, getting through the first three levels was pretty easy, especially the first two. You know, maybe you could mess up and fall into some pits on the third level. (laughs) But really, the fourth level is really where it got especially challenging. And, you know, when I was a kid, that's what I would do. I would be like, okay, I've gotten to the fourth level. Now I'm here. This is where the real excitement begins. And sometimes I would die, like, immediately. <laughs> you know, I'd get crushed by these stupid blocks popping out of the wall. And be like, oh, man, all that ever was for naught. Back to the beginning. There's no continues. Here we go again. Right. So I would say, you know, just start us on the fourth mission in Double Dragon. You'd already be all leveled up, so you'd have all your moves as well. But, you know, just starting at the fourth mission would take away a lot of the busy work, and, you know, you could just get to enjoying that, you know, challenging 
part of the game and it's like you know it's still going to be tough to get through this fourth level but here you go you don't have to keep going through those earlier parts over and over and over again so that would be kind of handy to have yeah i could agree with that i definitely have been to the fourth level but yeah it's it just is a whopping yeah it's really easy to to wipe out and uh, get a game over very quickly yeah they'll just uh whoop your booty (laughs) for sure (laughs) almost immediately so you got anything else I don't know why mine are all pie in the sky here, but I will give one more that's kind of ridiculous. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so they've got, uh, you know, Tecmo Bowl, obviously. Mm -hmm. A lot of the teams in that are just completely outdated. I would love to see, you know, somewhat of an updated roster. Now, Uh in the game, you don't actually see the players' names or anything. You just see their numbers and you see some stats. I would love to see, you know, just the numbers updated. And, uh, you know, just match a little bit with the contemporary teams are. But I understand that that's probably not going to happen. Wow. Totally Haxors, man. (laughs) Hey, I'm just saying. Yep, that could be interesting. It's mainly because I would like to pick Seattle, but uh, they're pretty garbage in the original. (laughs) Okay. Understandable. Understandable. Now, there aren't yet any Mega Man games available through this service, but I'm hoping there will be sooner or later. And when there are, I'm hoping there will also be SP versions. I suppose the most sensible thing would be like, you know, you get to start with some extra lives and, you know, maybe all your weapons as well. You know, in the original Mega Man, that's not really anything too crazy because, you know, you can get all your weapons and then you can just play through the levels again, you know, at your leisure. There's nothing stopping you from replaying any stage once you have your full arsenal. So I guess that would just, you know, sort of get you there a little bit sooner. But then, like in Mega Man 2, I'd like to see them actually you know, do some sort of behind-the-scenes cheating so you still can replay these levels with a full arsenal of weapons. You know, Normally, once you beat Airman, you have Airman's weapon, you can't fight him again. So you don't really have the option of uh, playing through all the levels with a full arsenal. So you know, get Mega Man on there, find a way to you know, give you all those weapons and just play through the stages while you're fully loaded. It would be a completely new way to experience one of my all-time favorite NES games. Is it possible? Eh, probably not, but I'd love to see it nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, might as well throw in four E-Tanks while you're at it, you know? <laughs> you never have enough E-Tanks. That's right. You know, if we're starting to dabble into games that just aren't on the service yet... Yeah, sure. Well, first off, I'd like to see Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest slash Dragon Warrior. Yeah, those are great ones. I was thinking of that, too. Come to the service. And I'd love to see, you know, some option, an SP option would be great if there was some, you know, like you got a bunch of gold or you start with like some pretty good levels so you're not like, you know, just grinding it out from the get-go. Yeah, totally. I mean... That is something I completely agree with, and sort of like what I was saying with River City Ransom, these were some of these older games where you have to spend a ton of time just grinding and leveling. Like, I mean, you can't do anything in Dragon Warrior until you've, like, spent half an hour just killing slimes, you know? (laughs) So I think it would be great in either one of those games to be able to just, you know, start with a high-leveled character and, like you said, a bunch of money, you know, maybe some extra items extra herbs and whatever but yeah just you know cut down on that grinding this is sort of what they did with the recent sega ages version of fantasy star right and it made the game a lot more playable and brought up to modern spec you could level up a lot faster yeah maybe just doing that maybe you know quadrupling your experience or something like that would be a great way to experience you know just sort of hack in there tweak it and make it like that but yeah i think that would be a great way to experience those classics just uh, you know make it so you don't have to spend so much time grinding yeah Good idea. I mean, like you said, it'd be great if we got those on the service at all. But uh, yeah, definitely a cool idea. Yeah, and of course, you know, you have the regular version without SP if you want to have the original experience. Yes, exactly, exactly. 
So some other games that I'm hoping will arrive eventually are Konami's classic Castlevania games. Oh, yeah, of course. And I think that all of those would probably be ripe for the SP treatment. Castlevania 1 and Castlevania 3, those can both get pretty challenging, especially as you get towards the end of the game. So it'd be kind of nice to start somewhere on the last level with max hearts and probably equipped with a boomerang. Heck, maybe it would even start you right at Dracula so you can be prepared to take him out and witness the ending to those games. See the really goofy credit sequence in Castlevania, you know, (laughs) where all the game creators were actually ridiculously named... Uh, horror movie makers and stuff like that <laughs> yeah you know i don't even think i've really seen the ending in most of those games so i would totally welcome some option like that yeah i mean castlevania i've definitely beaten castlevania 2 i've beaten plenty of times castlevania 3 i've never actually beaten myself so oh. it would be nice to be able to check that out with my own eyes but yeah as for simon's quest castlevania 2 you know that's not a hard game at all but it is one where you kind of have to do a lot of grinding both for money and experience and so i think it'd be cool just to be able to play that game and start with a ton of money a lot of experience and maybe even the powered up flame whip but you still have to go through all the mansions and get the body parts and buy all your other items but i think we just you know take out once again that sort of slow part that uh, you know can detract from the experience for some people yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anything that can kind of you know bring a game up to uh, today's standards kind of would help give it some playability. Yep, that's what I was thinking as well. Uh, Pete, that actually does it for all of my SP suggestions. You didn't have any more, did you? Nope, I think that does it. Okay, well, in that case, I guess that brings this week's big topic to a close, which means it is pretty much time for us to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast. However, before we go, we do have time for one more thing. And that is, as you may have guessed, a dramatic reading. Oh, goody. This time, it is the eShop description of the Switch game Mahjong Stories Vampire Romance. Unhappy souls suffer under the authority of the cruel ancient vampire. Do you have enough courage to challenge the monster? For many years, Edward suffered from insomnia and saw what others did not. One day he tried to escape all the nightmares, but his evil destiny overtook him near the weird graveyard. (laughs) Its unhappy souls suffered under the authority of the cruel ancient vampire, and their last hope was the savior, brave and clever enough to solve all the mysteries and break the cursed seals. So Edward decided to stay and challenge Count Orlok. Mahjong Stories, Vampire Romance, is an intriguing horror game full of magic Mahjong puzzles and additional Hoppa levels. Interesting characters, intricately woven plot, unexpected outcome, and lots of mysteries. All this and many other things are waiting for you in this journey through the cursed graveyard. (laughs) Do you have enough courage to visit a mansion of the ancient vampire and launch a challenge against him? Chilling Horror Atmosphere intricately woven plot and the unexpected outcome (laughs) vampires ghosts and other inhabitants of the graveyard 70 mahjong puzzles and 13 bonus hogs (laughs) beautiful graphics and music the best way to spend a nice time for all solvers of puzzles and fans of horrors is that it yep that is it Are you going to pick this one up? 
You know, I don't think I am. I mean, I was checking out on the eShop. I had some pretty amazing artwork. <laughs> it really does. That looked like, you know, a shoot from someone's Halloween party or something. <laughs> yeah, but uh, nonetheless, I do not think I'm going to pick it up. Uh, uh, I was, however, intrigued enough to look up what Hoppa meant. Um, the first thing I found when I checked the internet was that it stood for hot piece of But then I discovered it stands for Hidden Object Puzzle Adventure. So (laughs) it's uh, hidden objects mixed with mahjong and romancing vampires. So I don't know what else to tell you. Well, it's only $4.99. Oh, well, fantastic. In that case, Pete, I think you should purchase it and uh, let me know how it goes. Well, it is the best way to spend a nice time for all solvers of puzzles and fans of horrors. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed it is. Until I play it, I guess I can't really argue with that, can I? (laughs) No. Nope, you heard it here first. Yeah, indeed. All right, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, the Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. And our good friends, the Ice Climbers, we will see you next time.